an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be giving our predictions for the NBA Southwest Division, which is honestly shaping up to be a really interesting one. Maybe not some sort of super established powerhouse, but lots of really talented young players and teams and some pretty polarizing ones. So I'm very interested, Logan. Who do you have atop this division? Atop the Southwest Division, I have the New Orleans Pelicans going 50-32. and Yeah, buddy, man. And this is really contingent on one thing and one thing only, and that is Zion Williamson staying healthy, man. He has missed 214 games across four seasons. That is an average of 54 games per season. And... I mean, if I could bank on that, Carson, I would consider the Pelicans as a legitimate, bona fide NBA Finals contender. I would have Zion Williamson as an MVP candidate. Like, I just feel like it still gets swept under the rug. I know a lot of the NBA community knows how great Zion Williamson is. Carson, I know he's only played a certain amount of games. He is the most efficient 25-point-per-game scorer in NBA history. Mm -hmm. His career, he is 25.8 points per game on 64.3% true shooting. That is absurd, man. That is outrageous. The Pelicans have an offensive rating of 118.1 with Zion on the floor. He is a freight train. He is a Mack truck. He is an athletic freak, man. He's a freak in some other instances, too. But on the court, he's an athletic freak. Um... But I buy into this offense being great because of B.I. and Zion. Ingram had a career year last year. Again, he was limited a little bit, didn't complete the season, but career highs in points per game and assists per game. And there was just a certain flow that I saw in preseason from New Orleans with this offense that I really like, man. Zion looked really unselfish, draws so much attention when he's driving to the rack. I think that's an element of this offense that can take them up a completely other level as if Zion can tap into that playmaking edge. He's already a good playmaker, but if Zion is really 
you know, seeing the floor well, uh, playing unselfish ball, moving it to the right guy, which again, he's been doing in preseason. It, it takes this offense up another level. They are so talented with McCollum, with Herb Jones, who I think could take another step up offensively, with Valanchunas initiating, with DHOs from the top of the uh, from the top of the key, with other talented guys like Jordan Hawkins, Trey Murphy, Dyson Daniels, Kyrie Lewis Jr. off the bench. I see a really high ceiling for this team, and they were six in defensive rating last year too. We need to see if Zion and B.I. can fully commit to the defensive side of the ball. Last year was Brandon Ingram's best year by far defensively. If Zion could commit there too, man, I see a team that could potentially be top 10 on both sides of the ball. Again, the biggest question mark with New Orleans is the health of Zion Williamson. That is the biggest swing factor for this team. Man, I pray that this is the year, dude, because I want to see it finally come together. I want to see a full year of the healthy Pelicans. It feels like every year... We build them up. They've got a really talented roster. They can reach these really high ceilings, but Zion can't finish it out. I'm hoping this is the year they can do it because I really buy in to the healthy Pelicans as a legitimate contender. I do like their ceiling a lot, but I'm lower on them just because I think the probability mm -hmm. of Zion staying healthy is yeah. very low. I mean, he's averaged 28 games a season so far in his career. So it's like we were talking about with Jonathan Isaac, the dudes who are just perennially hurt, no matter how much you may want them to be healthy, no matter if the reports are that they look the best and the healthiest that they've been, you have to take that with more than a grain of salt because the most likely outcome, unfortunately, is that they will have a season that is seriously hampered by injury. But I do think healthy Zion is arguably underrated. And when he was out there last year, the Pelicans were so good, dude. They were outscoring opponents by 7 points per 100 with him on the floor. They had a 17-12 and 12 record. They were the one seed for a time. They looked like a contender. Because he is one of the truly unstoppable offensive players in the NBA. He has a truly one-of-one -one combination of first-step vertical athleticism and this raw power. So he is going to be the most productive rim finisher in the NBA no matter what. He's led the league in attempts inside of five feet every season that he's been healthy. He's going to score with 65% true shooting efficiency, as you say. So that is the kind of guy who can elevate you into being a top 10 offense because of that unrelenting rim pressure, what that does for everybody else around him, the playmaking he can generate off of that. But we really shouldn't expect that he plays more than half the season. We just have to look at the track record, and without him, this was a relatively labored offense. It was the number 21 team in terms of offensive rating, and they do have some high-end perimeter skill, but then you're lacking in that rim pressure and athleticism from the perimeter. You don't have brilliant playmaking. You don't have elite shooting, so they are reliant on him in terms of reaching a high offensive ceiling, but I'm not just worried about health with Zion. I'm worried about health for this team as a whole because Trey Murphy has a partial meniscus tear. He's probably going to miss the first six weeks of the season. That really matters, not just because Trey Murphy is damn good, but because I don't like the depth here. I think their top six is locked and loaded, really, really good. I do think Jordan Hawkins is a pro-ready contributor just because of his shooting value offensively, how well he can fit in offensively, playing off-ball. But after that, man, Dyson Daniels, I think, is a ways away from being any sort of efficient offensive contributor. But when this team is healthy, they do have that defensive identity that you mentioned, and they were really, really good there. They have great defensive wings with Herb and Trey and B.I. buying in more there. Even though Valanciunas isn't a good rim protector, he's a big body there, and they're an elite rebounding team. They have really, really good size. So if you compare that defensive identity 
with the high-level perimeter shot-making and playmaking from CJ and BI, and then that sort of unrelenting, bruising interior dominance that you get from Zion attacking from the perimeter, getting downhill. And Valanciunas just as one of the strongest, most skilled interior scoring bigs, that is a hell of a formula. B.I. is at his best that we've ever seen him as a playmaker, as a jump shooter. He is one of the best short mid-range killers in the league today. And CJ is still a very skilled shot maker. I definitely think you do want him as a third option, though, just because... He's so limited athletically now, and he always has been very reliant on the jump shooting, but now it's like 10% of his shots come at the rim, and so there's only so much you can do with a guy who has that sort of athletic limitations and also isn't a great playmaker, but if those are your second and third options, that's a pretty good situation. There's hardly a better duo of role players in the league than Herb Jones and Trey Murphy. Herb is just one of the most versatile defensive menaces in the league. Trey Post-All-Star game last year was unbelievable, dropping 18 a night on 67% true shooting. He is one of the most skilled shooters in the NBA today, and at 6'9", he can just kill you with that shot making from deep. And then also, I think, has a little bit of an on-ball game, solid attacking closeout, solid touch on runners. He's got a pretty controlled handle. So... I don't love the overall spacing here, but guys like Trey, guys like Hawkins can help there. And it's good enough when they're going to be such a dominant interior offense with Zion and Jonas Valanciunas out there, and they should be a good team defense. So if they are healthy, I definitely think they can win a playoff series. I wouldn't go as far as to say that they're legitimate title contenders because I still don't think they have the highest offensive peak because of spacing concerns. If you're just trotting out a starting lineup of Herb and Zion and Valanciunas, I think you can be pretty good, but I don't think that you will have the most efficient path to effortless elite offense consistently. And I think they're not built to be truly elite defensively. I expect them to be good there, but with Valanciunas at the five, with Zion, if he's playing more, I think that that probably hurts your team defense a bit. So I don't view them in that elite tier, but at full strength, I do think they are better than my prediction for them, which is unfortunately just a 42 win team and the 10 seed. I'm just expecting too many games missed from Zion. The Trey thing really concerns me because of their depth issues. And I don't want this to be a team that's perennially disappointing, that always looks better on paper and in the preseason, but it's just really, really hard when your supernova talent can't stay on the court. And it's hard not to buy into these patterns, right? I mean, we've got a clear track record of what happens with Zion. But I don't think you understand it, Carson. Zion's like in the best shape that he's ever been in. Did you hear that? Yeah, man. I heard that before his rookie year, too. I feel like they say that every year, man. It yeah. cracks me up. They immediately, right after, uh, Zion's in the best shape he's ever been in. And I'm like, guys, he hasn't really looked that different to me, but okay. Yeah. I'm I'm going to be cautiously optimistic. And by cautiously optimistic, I'm going to push all my chips in on the table on the Pelicans being healthy and this finally being the year. If it's delusion, if it's optimism, I don't know what it is. I just want to see it happen because mm -hmm. I just feel like as fans, we've been robbed, man. I really do think the Pelicans at full strength could win a playoff series out west. It's a tall task, but you need Zion out there to do it. He's a game-changing, game-breaking talent. And I just still feel, Carson, that not enough people recognize it because he can't stay on the floor I don't want this to be the, you know, the story of Zion's career. I don't want this to be, you know, what if, what could have been if Zion could have lost some weight, if he could have gotten better shape, if whatever the scenario is. But I'm going to buy in, and I hope that this is finally the year. And even, like, 
50 games, man, and I'm happy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, if we can yeah. get to that threshold, that's a win. I really do like the Pelicans at full strength, but 42 wins, that means that you don't have them atop this division, do you? I do not. I have them second in this division, though. I think that there's going to be a lot of teams in that sort of play-in range here. Who do you have second in this division, Logan? Because I'm going to bet that that's my division winner, but actually, I'm not sure. There's sort of three teams in this range. Well, uh, a little peek behind the curtain, guys. I just found out that the Oklahoma City Thunder don't play in the Southwest, so I originally had them as my second team here. Oh, wow. Uh, That would be crazy. Completely forgot the Memphis Grizzlies existed. Uh, I have the Memphis Grizzlies going and winning 48 games this year. Uh, John Morant is going to miss the start of the season, but there's a culture that you can buy into with Memphis. Obviously, without John Morant, they've been super successful since he came into the league. They're 37-24 and 24 without Ja since 2019. And this has consistently been an elite, elite defense. What does that mean? Well, even without John Morant, you can buy into this team being great during the regular season if he's out there or if he's not. They had the number two defensive rating last season. And every single year, Taylor Jenkins just somehow makes this team play above their means. And I think with Derrick Rose in the starting lineup, I think they're going to be fine. I mean, Desmond Bain showed us he could be a supplemental, a little bit of a playmaker. Really? You care about D. Rose at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be okay. I think that, again, without Ja, like, I think they're I think they're chilling. Um, Dude, I don't know, man. I think D. Rose is totally washed. Wow! Totally washed is crazy, Carson. Did you watch him play last year? He looked awful totally washed is nuts dude you don't nuts like, is it really i think he his true shooting percentage was like 46 last year d rose or john wall why what does it matter well i mean would i, I rather know, be I get stabbed or shot to death <laughs> i don't want either one of those dudes on the floor i mean he just can't attack the rim in nearly the same way that he could even a few years ago his body's just worn down like since the detroit minnesota days and I mean, he's a poor jump shooter. He had a really, really brutal jump shooting season last year. He can't defend. Uh, D. Rose does not move the needle for me at all. I don't want him on my team. I don't want him on the floor. Oh, my goodness, man. I mean, I just hope that a different situation is going to be beneficial for D. Rose. I didn't feel like New York was the best spot for him, bro. It's not like he was playing. I mean, Also, for what it's worth, I don't think there's any chance that he's going to start. Who's starting? Luke Kennard? I think they would start... John Conchar, probably, honestly. What? I don't think you can start a backcourt of Smart and D. Rose. D. Rose sucks, dude. D. Rose sucks. I don't think the Grizzlies care at all. I didn't even think twice about him when I was doing my preview notes oh, for that. That's actually fair. I'd start Smart. I'd go, yeah, Smart Bane. That actually does. Oh, John Conchar in the starting lineup. That's disgusting. Anyway, the Grizzlies are going to be great defensively. They're going to be great without John ja Morant. But I, I think that. There's still issues that rear their ugly head when we talk about this team as a legitimate, legitimate contender. Carson, we've been talking about this for three years, I feel like now. It's how reliable can they create half-court offense when it comes playoff time? This team was number 22 in half-court offense last season. John Morant just doesn't create the most seamless, easy half-court offense. You think about the spacing issues here with Steven Adams, with Triple J. That's what's going to take for this team to get over the hump. Triple J being a reliable mid-range to three-point shooter. We have yet to really see that. We've seen stretches. We've seen glimpses. We've also seen Triple J assert himself physically on the low block when he can attack mismatches and be great offensively there, but there's still going to be spacing issues. I don't really trust Triple J to always assert his dominance over the game and take over as a scorer, as a jump shooter, as an offensive player, which they need. 
And so I still think that's what ultimately is going to hold this team back from taking a leap is I don't think this half-court offense is going to be good enough to even win a single playoff series. We saw it last year. And so that's just what holds me back from buying into Memphis. I think they're going to be a great regular season team. Every single year that you have Taylor Jenkins here, that you have this defensive identity and culture, this team's going to be great in the regular season. But until they get an easier path to reliable half-court offense, I can't buy into the Grizzlies as a real contender, despite how talented they are. So that's still what I think holds them back, Carson. I completely agree. That's been my issue with Memphis since they first emerged as a 50-plus win team in the regular season. I just didn't buy it translating to the playoffs because you have to be able to manufacture that good half-court offense. I will make one more point on why I don't think D-Rose matters here at all. Unfortunately, the guy is also pretty much always hurt and is 35 years old now. But I actually think this is going to be a down regular season for Memphis because although they are uniquely well-equipped in terms of winning without their star, I think that has been predicated on a level of depth that they don't have anymore that has regressed a bit and a level of composed half-court point guard play that you got from a guy like Tyus Jones that they don't have anymore. So, I think in those 25 games where Jaws and out there, it's going to be a really rough stretch offensively. They're not going to get out and transition nearly as much. Jaws, the driving factor there, that is what makes them a decent offense. And they were only average as an offense period last year. But as you mentioned, they were a 17th percentile half-court offense. I genuinely feel that Tyus Jones is a better half-court conductor, a better offensive point guard than Marcus Smart. Smart's a better all-around player, but that's because of the defensive value. You have some addition by subtraction here, getting rid of Dylan Brooks offensively. I mean, he's a really good defender, but we know how much of a black hole he can be, how wildly inefficient he is, and yet he's still going to shoot at volume. But still, the creation and the shooting here without jaw is limited even with jaw it's limited when you're talking about the scope of like contenders legitimate playoff teams but when you're just talking about the scope of nba teams without him it's going to be rough and you look at the factors that could maybe change that outlook i'm not sold on the triple j leap and we saw the stretch last year towards the end of the regular season and then in the start of the lakers series really just game one after that he sort of fell off a cliff but where He's shooting the ball efficiently from deep. He is hyper-aggressive as a driver. He's bullying mismatches out of the post. He's fully asserting himself physically. And then he has that nice short-range touch shot making. And he can be a legitimate high-impact offensive player. And then you see the stretches where, like in that series, things totally turn on a dime. He becomes super passive. He has some struggles maintaining his handle in traffic and becomes turnover prone. He really can't do anything with double teams. He's far too limited as a playmaker. The shot comes and goes from the outside, and all of a sudden, it's like we don't even want this guy out there offensively. I do not see a consistent enough level of him being in the right mindset and putting it all together to believe that this year is going to be a significantly different story. And I really like Desmond Bain, but I think that he is probably close to his ceiling. And I think that he's a guy who benefits from playing alongside Jaw, having a guy who can draw attention like that, pressuring the rim in the half court, kick out to Bain as a shooter, having a guy who can demand attention like that in transition where Bain can fill a lane. I mean, he is a hell of a pure shooter, one of the best in basketball, and I think that he's a solid pick-and-roll playmaker, and he's able to use his strength as a driver in spots, but I just 
don't see them running as much without Jaw, as I said, and he's really been a good transition scorer, Bane. And he's just not, to me, at the level of half-court creator out of pick-and-roll to where you want to really, really lean on him. So this was a bad shooting team last year, 23rd and three-point percentage. I think it's going to be rough. And even when Jaw's back, I think that their same fundamental issues remain. That's what will hold them back in the playoffs. But even for regular season purposes, that defense is going to be elite no matter what. Triple J and Steven Adams, that is such an elite defensive duo on the interior. They're going to dominate the glass. They're just going to give a level of effort night to night in the regular season that a lot of other teams don't. They have such a good culture on that side of the ball. But I think the offense is going to be really limited and... You look at the depth. They've lost Tyus Jones. They've lost Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton over the last couple years. Those were cornerstone, versatile role guys. Those made this Memphis bench that has been such a strength. And it's still a solid unit with Clark, with Tillman, with Kennard. John Conchar is fine. He'll come off the bench once Jaw is back. But it's just not the same. It's not the same sort of elite unit that it once was that really can't help carry the load in a regular season. So I have the same fundamental issues with them come playoff time, but I think that they are in a darker spot for the regular season with jaw out. And I think that they are headed towards maybe a similar conclusion, but I would honestly say probably even uglier than the last couple of years. Cause I don't think they'll have the sort of seating advantages. I don't think that they have improved whatsoever and I think that a lot of other teams out west have yeah another guy that I like off the bench Carson is uh Aldama too yeah how many wins do you have for Memphis I have Memphis winning just 43 games I have them as my nine seed and they're winning this division yeah wow yeah I man you think the west is like that good I I just yes I do actually I don't know. I have a I have a certain faith in Memphis just being great enough defensively to propel them to to a greater record. That seems really really low. Yeah, and maybe I am underselling what they'll be able to accomplish purely in the regular season because of the floor that that defense gives them. But when I look at how they project to the playoffs, I definitely think that they are honestly ninth best case scenario in my opinion and with the jaw absence I do think this might be the year where we finally see that offense they aren't able to put together a respectable unit when he's not on the floor I don't think this is as complete of a team as they've had in the last couple years and I'm out I mean I've been out on Memphis in terms of their real ceiling in recent years but I am just extra out on them right now they will win regular season games they just give too much effort and they do still have the solid depth and they are well coached, but I'm out on them. Okay. Who do you have next in this division, Logan? And number three is a team that, uh, I quite like a lot. It's the Dallas Mavericks. I have them going 38 and 44 and wait, that's quite liking them. I mean, like I like their talent, but you know, I'm a, I got, I got to take a little hard look at the team and I don't think they can play defense, man. Mm hmm. There's a fundamental misstep that Carson and I bring up when we talk about the Dallas Mavericks every time, so let's set the stage. They screwed up their franchise trajectory by not building around Jalen Brunson and Luka and putting a great defense around them. They didn't know they didn't need to go out and get one of the most skilled offensive players of all time in Kyrie Irving. They didn't need him. They had Jalen Brunson. Brunson is a freaking beast, man. And honestly, am I crazy for like saying that I would probably rather have Jalen Brunson than Kyrie Irving? Do you think that's ridiculous? 
I would rather have Jalen Brunson because I think he is more reliable in every sense of the word. But I think as a pure offensive player, I would still slightly prefer Kyrie. I think Kyrie is insane offensively when he's actually out there. Yeah, Kyrie's super raw. I'd still probably rather have Brunson, but then again, you look at the opportunity cost of the situation. You don't have to pay Jalen Brunson a ton of money. You don't have to give up a ton of assets to go out and get Kyrie Irving. I think the Mavericks shot themselves in the foot when they did that, and so they have been scrambling ever since making the Kyrie trade to go out and get defensive assets for this season because the reality of the situation is a year, two years, the Mavericks don't make the playoffs with a top-notch talent like Luka Doncic, and he is going to one out of town. We see superstars get disgruntled faster and faster, it seems, every single year, and it seems like that's what's on the table if Dallas continues to sputter and can't manufacture great teams. They have a record of 5-11 and 11 together, and I really like the Luka Kyrie fit. They're a great offensive pairing. They're two of the most talented offensive players in NBA history flat out, but can this team play defense? That is still the fundamental question about this team. They had an 119.4 defensive rating with Luka and Kyrie played. That's insane. They've been housed by the Timberwolves twice in two preseason games, and they got beat by Real Madrid. I don't think they have any good point of attack defenders. I think Josh Green is cool. I think they've got two real defensive liabilities in Kyrie and Luka. I think there's a severe lack of strong, impactful wings. I like Omax. Omax really hasn't blown me away here in preseason defensively. I don't know how impactful he's going to be as a rookie. And then defensively, uh, on the interior, I don't really think they have a dominant rim protector. It seems like Derek Lively II is going to start. I think he's going to get bodied by bigger and stronger centers. Like, Lively's cool, but he doesn't bring anything new offensively. They can run drop coverage all day long, which kind of clogs spacing in the paint up for your other guys. And then defensively, He's cool. I think he's going to foul a little bit. He's long. He can make plays on the ball. But again, I think bigger uh, centers are just going to kind of outbody Derek Lively. So I don't really think there's any good defenders out here. I mean, Maxi Kleba is probably their best, like, big wing here. Grant Williams is cool. The Michelin man, like, they just don't have enough defense here. Basketball is a two way sport. You know, Luka and Kyrie can go out there and they can put up 140. It's not going to matter if the Mavs are getting 150 dropped on their head every night. There's just not enough good defenders on this roster for me to buy in and think this is going to be a different team. That's why I have them going 38-44, and 44, and I think Luka Doncic is going to be really, really frustrated at the end of this season. I agree. Fundamentally, I think we're pretty aligned here. I'm a little bit higher on the Mavs than you are just because I think... They won 38 games last year when they didn't have Kyrie for most of the season. And once they got him, they basically emotionally tanked. Like, not from the jump, but the last handful of games, that was a team that was putting forth no effort. I thought that Luka's effort on the defensive end the entire season was abysmal because he was carrying that offensive load and because I'm sure that he didn't feel that that team really deserved his effort. That was not a team that was built to win a whole lot of basketball games that was going to do anything meaningful in the playoffs. I think when it comes to a playoff setting, if you were to give me like single game Mavs versus Grizzlies, I might still prefer Dallas because of the offensive ceiling they have, how incredible the creation from Luka and Kyrie is. But again, Memphis is just more reliable in that regular season setting. And I actually don't even have Dallas getting into the play in right now, which would be so disappointing for them for the second straight year. But I have them as my 11 seed at 41 and 41 and They've addressed their biggest concerns from last year, that being their wing and interior defense, 
but not in an ideal way. I think that Lively, yes, is this massive athlete, 7-1 with a 7-7 wingspan. I think offensively, he's certainly not going to give you anything above and beyond, but he's going to have a really easy life as this massive pick-and-roll target who Luka is just going to spoon-feed some nice easy lobs every game. But I think he's going to make bad decisions. I think at times he's going to be overwhelmed offensively. He's not a guy who I would even rely on to attack a switch with a post mismatch. Like we've seen that he doesn't have the skill and the composure and the physicality down there. And defensively, this is the guy you're relying on to be your anchor. I think he's going to be out of position a lot. I think he is going to foul a ton. We saw that issue with him at Duke. We've seen it in preseason. He's going to have to adjust to NBA physicality. He's just not ready to me. I mean, Lively was a guy who was playing 18 minutes a game at Duke, right? He wasn't ready to be a legitimately important player on a Power 5 program in college. Now to say, hey, can you anchor an NBA contender defensively? Can you be a solid starter? I just don't really see it. And Omax, I think, has very good defensive tools. He's got a strong base. He moves well. He's got good hands, good instincts. He's still a rookie, though. And it's just generally a learning curve there. He's probably not going to be a stud in the scope of NBA defenders. And offensively, he's a good vertical athlete. He's a good cutter. He's decent attacking closeouts. His shot is a real swing factor. Pretty mediocre last year. 34% on catch-and-shoot threes. We'll see how that number progresses, but it's a very simple, straightforward offensive game. Not a lot of wiggle or creation to him whatsoever. So I just think Dallas is putting a lot of stock into two rookies who still have real questions, who both are not like super refined, proven commodities. And then Grant Williams is their big free agent signing, who I know you didn't mention because you think he's the Michelin man and he can shoot and he'll give effort defensively, but he's not great. I mean, he's not a high-impact wing. And this entire team is just very much lacking in high-end offensive skill outside of Kyrie and Luka, who I think are amazing. And I think that they work together really well offensively. I've never had an issue with that because... Luka does need somebody who can alleviate some of the ball handling duties so he's not in complete control of the game for 36 minutes. That's just too much of a physical toll. That's what Brunson was able to provide a bit. Kyrie will provide more of that, and Kyrie is a lethal spot-up shooter. He is one of the most efficient isolation and pick-and-roll scores there is, one of the most lethal pull-up jump shooters there is. Those dudes are going to churn out a top-eight offense, really, no matter who else is out there with them. But I do think the supporting cast is too limited for it to be a truly top of the line, like top three sort of offense. And like you said, even putting forth a damn good offense when they were together last year, they were 5-11 and 11 because they were that abysmal defensively. So I just think this team, bottom line, overwhelmingly reliant on that star offensive creation without even average offensive skill on the rest of this roster, a very weak defensive backcourt, and they are relying on rookies to hold it together in the front court. I do not like that formula. And if things go south, if this season doesn't get off to a sparkling perfect start, I don't think they have the personalities and the culture to stand tough and pull it together. And I don't think they're well coached. So I think, as you said, 
the failure to sign Bronson and then subsequently having to expend resources and go all in on Kyrie as this sort of desperate effort to make Luka happy to add the additional offensive spark is going to cost Dallas dearly because yeah, they needed another offensive star, but what they really needed was a capable defensive core and just good play finishers and shooters around Luka because we know that that could be an elite offensive team and we know that with Jalen Brunson, they could make the Western Conference Finals because that team was better defensively and they had a really good second creator who you could have gotten on way better value. So I really think this might be the thing that costs them Luka. I didn't like the Kyrie signing when it happened, the Kyrie trade, I should say, not because of the offensive fit, because of what it means for the rest of the roster, because of how far away they still were, because of the danger of bringing in a volatile personality like Kyrie, making that your decisive move that the thing you're doing to try to keep Luka, it just never seemed like a smart calculated risk to me. And after this offseason, like, yeah, they did what they could with really limited resources, but I don't think it's enough in a really, really good West. I completely agree with you, Carson. Uh, there are a couple other guys on this Mavericks team that I want to give a shout out to that I know we both like. Uh, Josh Green, I think, is love Josh uh, slowly Green. getting better and better. Uh Always been a good shooter, always been a good defender, but he's shown, you know, he's got a little playmaking chops. He's got a little handle now, uh, can create a little bit too. I also have really liked what I've seen out of Jaden Hardy. I liked him in the pre-draft process. I was so pumped when my Kings drafted him, and then I found out that we traded him to Dallas, and I was uh, a little bit devastated. Hardy's a bucket, man, and I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch again this year in relief of Luka and Kyrie in those minutes where he's off the bench. He just, he can go out there and fill it up, man. In the mid-range, he can get to the rack. He's just... He's a bucket, man. You can't teach it. And in, in, in a spot like this, I think he can play a pretty valuable role. But again, not needle movers, and they they don't address uh, the team's biggest needs. And I don't want to see Luca leave Dallas, man, but it seems like that's what we're heading for. And I think you make a really great point, Carson. If we get to the midway point, if we get to the all-star break and the Mavs aren't, you know, trending upwards, I think you're right, dude. This is a really, really volatile situation that could go south very quickly. Yeah. I do want to give props to Josh Green, though, because he's really improved, and that shot was a big question mark coming into the league and through his first couple years, and he got significantly better there last year, and he does have the playmaking and the defense and the athleticism. That dude is really good, and the depth here overall is solid. I mean, you have basically the same Mavs of the last half decade with THJ and Kleba and Powell. Those guys are fine, but... I think that we have seen the ceiling when they can't pull things together defensively. And this is just not a crew that inspires any sort of optimism in me in terms of what they can accomplish on that side of the ball. The NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code NERDS only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So those three teams feel like they're in a different tier in terms of they want to be really winning now. I think they all see these ceilings where they can be winning playoff series, but of course the West is just that tough. There's health concerns, availability concerns with some of them, uh, emotional concerns with the Dallas Mavericks, I would say. Now we get into the young tier of this division the really young rebuilding teams who do you prefer between the last two teams here i like the rockets a little more than the spurs and i don't know where i'm gonna end up again uh when we do these record predictions these are subject to change at the end we gotta have an even record so tentatively i have the rockets winning 31 i feel like i might have to lower that a little bit i just I like what they did in the offseason, not adding Dylan Brooks. I think Dylan Brooks kind of sucks. I I wouldn't want him on my team. But I really love the acquisition of Fred Van Vliet first and foremost, just because I think he provides a a few things. One, I think he provides a veteran presence in the locker room. I think this team desperately needs somebody to look up to, uh, a leader of some sorts. I also think they need an actual point guard who can come in here and run a competent half-court offense. I think it's a lot to ask of Jalen Green to come in here and be a lead playmaker and be a lead decision-maker and always have the ball in his hands. I'm not saying it's because he's not talented enough. I just don't think he has the mental game to play point guard right now. Fred Van Vliet is a point guard. You know what I mean? Like, Green, I want to go out there and serve buckets. But Van Vliet can set the table for everybody, get the offense in motion, And he's just going to lead to good half-court offense, and he can set Jalen Green up to get buckets. I think they desperately needed that. I also also think they needed a defensive dog. You know, Van Vliet may be small. The guy's feisty. He plays hard. He's a good perimeter defender, and he's really good at generating steals. So I didn't like the Van Vliet acquisition at first just because I didn't know if it fit with the timeline. I think he addresses a lot of the Rockets' needs, and he's going to make them a much better team. I still don't think this team is going to be great. They're really young. A lot of these guys need to get better just to get up to where this team could maybe make a playoff push. And I still think defense is a big concern. They were 29th in defensive rating in 2023. I think there's a ceiling with Sengun as your five. He's not a great vertical athlete. Like, he's got a little bounce. He's got bounce for a white guy, you know what I mean? But he's not, like, crazy athletic, crazy bouncy. I don't think he's a great rim protector. Dylan Brooks is cool. He sucks offensively. I just, I think they're really far away. I think this year is going to be much more about... How much and where do these young guys improve in? But I do think the Van Vliet acquisition bumps them up, seriously, five to seven wins for me because of how good, how much better he's going to make this half-court offense. This was a bottom 10 half-court offense last year. Again, you're entrusting Jalen Green to play unselfish basketball. That's just not a recipe for good offense. I think Van Vliet helps them there a lot. Uh, I'll get into the young guys that, uh, you know, we'll get into the young guys that we like a lot because there's a lot of young guys to talk about here, but... Uh, I think the Rockets got a little better, and I still prefer the overall talent here a little bit more than San Antonio. Interesting. I actually have the Rockets last in this division, and 
It's by a decent margin. I have them winning just 26 games. I think this offense is still going to be brutal. And to me, the improvement that you get by bringing in Van Vliet is almost offset, if not totally offset, oh, by having Dylan Brooks <laughs> in a high-volume role offensively. Like, these are two of the least efficient volume scorers in basketball coming in as your veteran presences to theoretically right the ship and bring stability for your young and inefficient and erratic core. And I do think that Freddie is legitimately good and will be legitimately valuable, as you say, bringing in that sort of cerebral pick-and-roll half-court offensive creator, a true point guard. But he's not going to score efficiently, and Brooks is just going to be a problem offensively. I don't see the vision with his signing. If you want to establish a culture, is he really the guy? I don't know. I don't buy it, and I just think... He's going to hurt you offensively, actively. So those two are both heavily reliant on difficult jump shooting. I think that's going to be ugly offense overall. But I do like having Fred for what he can do for these very score-first wings like Jalen, like Jabari. I don't think that Jalen Green should be running as much pick and roll as he was this past year. It was a lot. And you do see the flashes of spectacular talent with him the athleticism, and the shooting that made him such a highly regarded prospect. But he has been decent finishing at the rim, not maybe as good as you would have expected. He still hasn't really established that intermediate touch that is so valuable for scoring out of pick and roll. He's improved as a playmaker, but it's still quite rudimentary there. It's like, okay, I can hit the roller with sort of a basic pocket pass. He's not making skip passes. He's not throwing lobs, right? He's not creating real advantages for a lot of his teammates. So I do think it'll benefit him to not have to create on ball as much and to be able to do some more of that, like, Zach Levine assassin scoring, cutting, elite spot-up shooting, and of course getting himself buckets and pick-and-roll in isolation, but not having that responsibility to carry for the whole team offense as a creator for others so much. What are you expecting from him this year? Because it feels like he remains a very divisive guy, and I can still really see two paths for him where he starts to put together some of the more winning traits, or he continues struggling with the same limitations and just ends up being a flashy but inefficient scorer who's not a really good all-around offensive player if you're trying to contend. This isn't going to be a cure-all for Jalen Green, but I think this is going to be the best year of his career. Like, I really think that Jalen needs a table setter, mm -hmm. a point guard who can set everybody else up and set him up. Like, this just unlocks Jalen Green to go do more off-ball, to yeah. cut, to get to open space, to to do little things where I, there's just certain guys that I don't think they're carved out for certain roles, right? In an ideal situation, a freak athlete like Jalen Green yeah, you're running high-volume pick-and-roll. He's a great pull-up jump shooter. He can blow by guys and get to the rack, and he's an awesome scorer. In theory, that's great, but that's just not his play style. I don't think he's a point guard, and to try to mold him into one, don't get me wrong, Like I think in the long run, you want him to improve as a ball handler, as a playmaker, out of pick-and-roll. But right now, he's just not there to be a lead ball handler. So I think this is going to be a career year for Jalen in terms of efficiency, in terms of scoring, I think they're going to empower him to do to, to play his game because I think they've been trying to force him to play a game that isn't his. And it's led to some really lackluster results. So I'm anticipating the best year of Jalen Green's career. 
Uh, are you with me? Do you think he largely stays the same? No, I am hopeful for improvement, and I also think that they now have a significantly better coach. People were outraged with Silas's rotations, and I just don't think he's a super creative coach. He was supposed to be a promising young offensive mind, but he never really was able to establish a direction for this team and a much better defensive coach coming in and Ime Udoka. So I think that the conditions are definitely there for him to improve. It's not going to happen in one year, but I totally agree with what you said in terms of the role. And this is just kind of a crazy number. Out of dudes to play at least 50 games last year, Jalen Green ran the sixth most pick and rolls. Wow. Behind Jaw, behind Trey, excuse me, fifth most, Dame and Luka Doncic. So that's just a real on-ball offensive engine burden that I don't think he was totally equipped for and generally in the long run is good for players, right? Devin Booker having to play point guard on some really bad Suns teams I think absolutely improved his playmaking. But it's not the best thing for him in the immediate, that's for sure. The guy who I'm more confident in taking a real leap out of this young core is Jabari Smith, Logan. And I was really impressed by what we saw in Summer League from him. Not just because of elite statistical production in Summer League. You only put so much stock into that. It's over two games, right? But because of the tangible improvements in skill set that we saw from him. He was the most comfortable handling the ball that I've ever seen him, which has been such a limitation for him historically, playing stiff and upright and losing the handle in any sort of traffic, turning his back to the basket prematurely because he's not comfortable handling in traffic. I thought that we saw nice hesitations from him in Summer League. I thought that we saw him much more willing to lower his body, to be more physical on his drives. And he said that some of his major points of emphasis were being decisive and purposeful with his movements. I thought that we saw that playing lower to the ground. We saw that. And then he just showed some really outstanding shot making off the dribble. He's always been a very skilled shooter, especially for his size at 6'10". But some of the stuff we're seeing, these little half spins into step backs, the turnarounds look beautiful. Step back threes, which we only saw so much last regular season. He took five across a couple games in summer league. So, of course, it has to translate to the next level. It's a whole new ball game. But I've always really liked Jabari because of his defensive tools, because of his shooting ability. That, to me, just gives you a really high floor. But where I've always been skeptical of him is as an on-ball elite offensive player because of some of those issues in terms of attacking off the bounce, his comfort there, and playmaking. And I still don't think the guy's going to turn into Jason Tatum or Kevin Durant there. It's certainly not going to happen overnight, but I just don't think he has that sort of elite wiggle and fluidity to him. But I definitely think he's improved, and I think that if he can pair that improvement with his other tools, you're looking at a really, really good winning basketball player long-term. So I prefer him to Jalen out of this young core. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'd go that far yet, but in terms of a winning basketball asset, I think you make some great points. Uh, Jabari last year, too, really improved, I thought, as a defender. I mean, night to night, he yeah. was drawing every really team's good. best offensive player, and that's just a winning skill set. You can shoot. You're long, you're a good rebounder, you can set screens and play off of them as a roller or a popper, and you can knock down shots, and I do think we saw him make major strides in Summer League, and it's a guy that's just going to go to work, you know? I mean, that's all we heard about is that Jabari wants to get better. He wants to stay in the gym and 
and get better. I'd probably still take Jalen just because I think Jalen's going to be a really, really good scorer one day and efficient too. But Jabari's Jabari's going to be a winning basketball asset. There is another young guy here. I mean, there's a ton of young talent here to like. Uh, I really like Amen Thompson. I'm excited to see what we get out of him this year. I think they're going to bring him off the bench. Honestly, screw Dylan Brooks, man. I'd probably have Amen just getting a ton of burn. You know, I wouldn't have Brooks, but... Not going to be good for spacing either way, no matter which one. But I think Brooks is going to start, and the men will have sort of the run of the second unit, which will be the best thing for him, having that ball handling. Yeah, for sure. And he's got an explosive first step. He's really slithery in the lane. The thing that I like about a man is, man, dude, just how low he gets to the ground on drives. Like, it's insane, dude, the way he blows by guys. Um, he's got really good body control. He's a really fluid athlete. I think you're right, and he's going to struggle with his shot a little bit out of the gate, but... Uh, attacking downhill, creating out of pick and roll, and not stopping within the flow of the offense. That's one of my favorite things about both of the Thompson twins. Athleticism, defense, and brain. When we're talking about not messing up uh, within the flow of the offense, making good decisions, the ball doesn't normally stop with either of these kids. You know, they're making the right reads. They're making the right decisions. I think they're both super smart. So, you know, I I don't think a men's going to be super efficient as a scorer, but I think his... The way he impacts the game goes way further than him as a shooter, as a scorer. I think he's going to be a good playmaker. I think he's going to be an okay defender. I think he's going to be a good rebounder. And I think he's I think he's going to improve a lot over this first year. I'm really excited to see all these guys on the floor. What do you think? Uh, what do you think we get out of a man in his rookie season? Well, I love a man. I think that he has such a unique combination of downhill pressure, insane athleticism, first step, vertical pop and just some awesome awesome playmaking but yeah rookie year given how far away his shot is mechanically I think he's gonna be inefficient it's also not a great spacing situation Cam Whitmore's another guy who long term I really like his ceiling I mean just such crazy physical traits so much power as a driver but he's still very much a bull in a china shop and we'll see how consistent the shot is I just think those guys are going to be playing the sort of Rockets basketball we've gotten used to over the last couple years where there's talent, but it's a bit chaotic. And that's what you should expect from them because they're rookies. There are more and more intriguing young guys here, man. I really like Taris, and I think he's got such a good all-around winning skill set. And Shen Goon, of course, is a real point of intrigue. And I like Shen Goon, but I feel that he's sort of... One of the situations where you see a guy who's got real offensive skill and he pops and you're impressed by him initially and then there's sort of this wave of like, oh my God, this dude is the next offensive superstar big man and maybe he becomes a bit overrated. I do think that Shengun is a really skilled post scorer. I do think that he is a damn good passer, but I do worry about building a team around him at the five defensively. I think that he has real limitations there, more so even than like a Jokic because he's smaller, he doesn't have the same length, he doesn't have the same overwhelmingly impressive IQ and hands to where Jokic can make up for some of his physical limitations there. So I do like Shengun, but I think that some people here view him as like the most impressive asset for the Rockets, and I just don't feel that way because of really major defensive limitations at the five. What do you think about Sengun long-term at the four? 
Then I think you have spacing concerns. I mean, he's got touch, but he's really not proven as a floor spacer. But that's probably where he would be best utilized if you can find a good defensive five who ideally could space the floor as well. Like, there's a lot of teams where you look and, I mean, I'd love to pair him with Miles Turner, right? Unfortunately, there's only one Miles Turner out there. But I think that's probably a better spot for him long term. I think so, too. I, I think you're right. There's just... You need a good defender. You need a good rebounder, a good rim protector, a physically imposing guy in the middle. And despite all the athletes that Houston has, I think consistently night to night they might get out-rebounded because you're running a guy like that at the five. But even if they got like a... This isn't ideal for spacing purposes. I was going to say like a Steven Adams or a Valanciunas or something like that. That probably kills your spacing considering you're going to have Brooks and Thompson out there. But... Yeah, I don't think Sengun's a five long-term. I just think that you're never going to build a, a good defense or a good rebounding team around him. But uh, I think that's something that they're probably going to find out as the season goes along. I don't think he's a five long-term. But I do think he can have like a Sabonis-level offensive impact. Mm -hmm. And maybe even more so because he's so much more skilled as a post-scorer. He's got such good body control down there, awesome spin moves, better touch really an artist at drawing fouls and he's a more creative passer than a guy like Sabonis. Sabonis certainly has higher assist numbers, but that's because he was made more fundamental to the Kings offense with the amount of handoffs that they run and whatnot. He's just sort of the constant point guard in effect. Shangun, it's more, all right, I'm doubled. Let me make a read out of this. I think playing with a more traditional point guard like Van Vliet, he'll be able to amplify dudes as a short roller. I like Shangun. I do like him, but I just don't want to go crown him as the next star big man. So overall, we can talk about the individual talents here, and this team will be better coached, and the young guys will take steps forward, but they're still not super cohesive. I still do worry about the spacing and overall offensive skill offensively and how they complement each other. They're still really limited defensively and very young there. I just think this is still definitely a bottom 10 team on both sides of the ball. So that's why I can't have them in that sort of 30 plus win range. I don't really see what they do at an average level right now. But I am optimistic that this is a year where they will establish better habits and where they'll trend in the right direction. And I do like these guys. They're not my single favorite young core in the league, but I do really like some of these guys. Okay, let's talk about the Spurs, Logan, because you're not buying all the way in on Wemby Mania, huh? You're not drinking that Kool-Aid because you've got them last in the division. So why is that? That's blasphemy. Don't do me like that, dog. I like the Spurs a lot. All right. I like Wemby. I only have the Rockets and the Spurs. Yeah, bro. You also said you like the Mavs a lot, and you had them winning 38 games. You know how pissed Mavs fans are going to be if they win 38 games? You got to have defense to win games, man. Come on, bro. Yeah, but I'm just saying, you can't say you like everybody. You got to pick and choose. Everybody's got right, talent. Well, I hate the freaking Spurs, man. I think they're going to freaking suck. Okay. Wow, all right. Not Cook. the case. I I have one win separating Houston and San Antonio, and I definitely, Carson, I seriously considered Wimby's going to have a huge effect on the Spurs immediately. Like, I'm in terms of winning games off rip, I mean, he might be, I think, the most impactful rookie ever, especially because of what he's going to bring defensively. I I have them at most impactful rookie ever. Well, not yeah, not ever. There's there's a long scope of basketball. Wilt, history. Kareem. <laughs> 
Bro thinks Wemby's winning MVP. I love it. I love it. Who was who was the uh, dude with the bullets back in the '60s? Unseld. Wes Unseld. Yeah. yeah. Wes Unseld was MVP as his rookie year. <laughs> He's gonna pull a Wes Unseld. I think Wemby's gonna be a lot of fun to watch, and I think he legitimately is gonna lead this team to win more games. I just like the overall talent in Houston a little more, but Wemby's gonna have a massive impact. I think they're gonna have him initiate from the perimeter a lot. Uh, yeah. I think long term, I think the best thing is. Getting him, you know, setting a screen, getting to attack mismatches, smaller guys on the post. That's going to be easy, easy offense for him to go to, which then is going to lead to him drawing double teams just because he's a matchup nightmare because of how long he is. Those double teams are going to lead to easy playmaking opportunities. I think you saw that in the preseason game, too. He drew a ton of doubles, and I think that is going to be crucial to Wemby uh, as a player long term. I mean, just for his entire career, I think that they're going to. I think teams are going to send doubles at him on a nightly basis, and he's going to slowly become a good playmaker. I think Wemby's going to be a transition monster. You saw two rim-rattling jams where he's just, just because he is at the three-point line. He's not even, you know, he's not even cherry-picking. The ball comes off the boards, and he's at the three-point line, and he's three strides away from jamming one home. So I think he's going to be a monster in transition, too. And defensively, I think he completely transforms the Spurs. I don't know if you saw this play, Carson, against the Thunder. That recovery block on Jalen Williams was absurd. This kid is seven foot four. He's got an eight foot wingspan. He got completely beat by two steps off that behind the back crossover. After the crossover, Wemby crossed his foot over. He is beat by two steps on Jalen Williams. That's an easy layup on any other player in the league. Completely planted his foot across his body, and he still recovered to stuff Jalen Williams. That's generational stuff, man. I mean, that's defensive player of the year caliber stuff. And I think Wemby's going to be doing that on a nightly basis. I also think his long arms are going to allow him to disrupt uh, passing lanes. They're going to allow him to gamble on guys driving into the lane. Wemby's going to be, I mean, an immediate defensive monster. And so... I think he takes the Spurs defense up a notch. I just, I don't love everything around the Spurs, and that's where I draw the line. But I think Wemby is going to be the best rookie that we've seen in a in a very long time in terms of winning impact. I think they're going to initiate a lot through him on the perimeter, like I mentioned. I don't love that, Carson. I wish they'd go to him on the low block, but they want him to... They want him to build that game long-term, and he looked a lot smoother in preseason than he did in Summer League initiating because it was rough uh, those first couple games in Summer League. But defensively, I think you're looking at one of the greatest rookies of this century, man. Yeah, defensively, he is going to be unbelievable. And he did look good in this preseason game in terms of his offensive creation. A couple beautiful takes off the dribble, one that really showed some physicality when he gave Chet a nice, good, old-fashioned headbutt. But hey... At least he's going at dudes. And then just the incredible body control on the more creative finish around the rim. He had that nice sidestep three. But I do still think that is really the garnish for Wemby's game. That is the difference maker between a good and a great game maybe. But it shouldn't be the foundation. He's still going to struggle to consistently create separation. I mean, he's still taking contested jumpers off the dribble for the most part in those spots. His handle is still a bit loose. It's vulnerable. I mean, yeah, it's as good as we've seen from a 7-4 guy, but he's pretty high up there, Logan. And I think we saw and will continue to see on post mismatches, 
Guys are going to go for that ball. They are going to get up in there, try to make him uncomfortable, try to force a mistake with his handle because you know that once he gets to that turnaround, I mean, you can't affect it at that size. But I thought he was a bit inaccurate with the passes and took some unwarranted gambles there. I do overall like his passing vision and instincts, but it's not the most refined thing. And I do still want to see him fed more offensively. I think there's a balance to be struck, but to me, when you're putting him in those situations where he's isolating from the top of the key, where he's got to hit a pull-up jumper in your face or maintain his handle on a drive in traffic, that's just a crazy thing to ask of any 19-year-old seven-footer. And Wemby is one of one, but that's a crazy thing to ask of Wemby. That's just not his actual strength as a player right now. But he is going to be an elite defensive anchor. He's going to be a massive roll target and a really good pick and pop option, and he will be comfortable attacking closeouts. He will be capable of shooting over anybody at any time, and I do think he will be able to make solid reads as a passer out of doubles and whatnot. So that's the foundation. I think the swing traits for this year are going to be the consistency of his jump shot, because we saw as a product of shot quality, that he was pretty inefficient as a jump shooter in France last year. He was like 30% on threes. We'll see how consistent he is there. And the polish of the handle, I do think that's still something that can be exploited in his game right now. And how he handles physicality generally. Because of his build, obviously, the NBA is going to be at another level. But I do like the fact that he's playing alongside Zach Collins in these two big looks, so he doesn't have to take on those matchups against the bruising dominant post centers. I just don't think he's equipped for that yet. I don't think he's going to be a super efficient scorer because of some of the reliance on the perimeter stuff right now, because he's not really consistently physically attacking on the interior, but defensively, he's going to have a really monstrous impact. Some people are saying he's already like a top 15 player. Everybody just needs to chill with that. Wemby's going to be really, really good his rookie year. He is going to be unbelievable down the line. I do not think he has the level of offensive polish, nor that sort of easy rim finishing at a really, really high level yet, just because of some of the physicality stuff to where you can put him into those conversations. But how about the rest of this team? How do you feel about the Spurs as a whole? It's cool. There's no clear defined number two to me. I mean, Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell are very cool, and I don't mean a number two on this roster. I mean a number two long-term alongside Wembanyama. Vassell! Vassell and Keldon Johnson are cool. I think Keldon's slightly overrated. I know a lot of people really like him, but I just think he's in a high-volume role. I think the best context for him in a winning situation is a, you know, a 3-and-D wing who can handle and create a little bit, but it's not... An easy avenue to offense. I think Vassell is probably my second favorite player uh, on this roster. I think he made really major strides as a ball handler, as a playmaker. Um, he's a good shooter. So, I mean, there's things to like. I like Trey Jones. He's all right. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm really intrigued, Carson, to see long-term who they pair up alongside him as the as, as the number two. I think Chetty Osmond's a cool addition to bring off the bench. And I do like that. I thought the Thunder might do this with Chet and put him at the four, but honestly, they're so stout and all they need is size. I think putting him at the five makes sense. But Wemby is slight enough where I think it's it's smarter to have him at the four spot alongside Collins. And you get some added floor spacing and touch where if Wemby's, you know, swarmed, uh, he can kick it out to Collins. You're getting some of that floor spacing action. You're getting some uh, a guy who can finish stuff on the inside because he's got a little touch. 
I don't love it. It's a pretty weak group around him. I'm intrigued by Malachi Branham, Jeremy Sohan, Charles Bassey, seeing what kind of strides those guys can make in their second seasons. It's cool. It's good. I, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see Vassell and some of these other young guys and, and where they grow this season. Bro described the Spurs as cool 17 times. They're cool, man. I mean, they're they're, they're yeah. Right. I maybe like them a little bit more than you. I only have them winning thirty games. I just think it's still a really young core, and they're coming from a place where they were the worst reasonably healthy team in the league just because the Pistons didn't have Kate at all. I mean, I think they were 29th in offensive rating and 30th in defensive rating, so they just have a ways to climb, but. I do think that they have a more cohesive roster that is more built to win right now than the Rockets, and I think they have a clear strength, and that is going to be their defense, because I think with this interior tandem and with solid perimeter defense with Vassell and Johnson and Trey, I think this could be a top 10 sort of unit. I also think that defensively, yeah, I actually do. I mean, maybe that's a little overly optimistic because of how young they are, but I think Wemby is a game changer immediately, man. I think that people... You can't overstate how monstrous the athletic profile is there, right? Like, think about 7-4 with an 8-foot wingspan. First, we've never seen that combination. But just think about, like, the truly monster guys in terms of size. Mark Eaton, right? 7-4 with, I think, a 7-6 wingspan. He could block 5.6 shots per game. Sean Bradley sucked, but when he was on the floor, he was going to block 10% of every shot the opposing team took. Manute Bowl, same thing. Like, that sort of truly outlier size and length makes you such a monstrous shot blocker and none of those guys will save maybe Eaton had the instincts that Wemby does certainly none of them had the fluidity the uh, agile recovery the ability to guard in space on the perimeter and I mean Wemby's not perfect there but he can make up for so much because of his length and Zach Collins is a good rim protector. He held opposing players, I think, 7.5% below their typical field goal percentage last year. So when you build that sort of dual rim protector model, it makes for good regular season defenses, and I think that they can do that. And I like what Collins brings as a compliment offensively. He shot over 37% from three last year. I think he's an underrated passer and an underrated post player overall. He's got good body control. He's got really good touch on hooks, shot 60% there unselfish passer out of the post and then I do like Vassell a lot to me he's definitely better than Keldon I think he's a better playmaker I think he's a more fluid shot creator I think he's a better shooter I think he's a better defender to me he just fits in more seamlessly as the sort of like really high-end role player you want from a wing maybe that sounds disrespectful even because he's just really damn good but I mean he doesn't fit like the star offensive creation profile but I certainly want him on my team and I like that they extended him both of them need to be a bit more efficient in an ideal world but they're in a higher volume offensive role than they would be suited for on a really good team but Vassell just has some limitations pressuring the rim Keldon is rather inconsistent as a jump shooter but, I mean, there's talent there, and those guys are very solid right now, and I do like how Trey Jones controls the game as more of that conventional pass-first point guard. I think that it'll be good for Wemby to play alongside a guy like that. So, I look at the starting five, and I think it's pretty solid, but I do have concerns. There's not really high-end athleticism and rim pressuring here. It's not a very good shooting team. They were 22nd in threes made and 26th in three-point percentage last year. Wemby will help their spacing, but they're still playing two bigs. And again, I'm not sure how efficient he will be as a perimeter jump shooter this year. And then Trey's not good there. 
Keldon Johnson's up and down, below average overall. So I think the offense will still be pretty labored, but I do like the defense to take a real leap. And I am intrigued by the young guys. I really like Malachi Branham. I think I like him more than I did as a prospect. Very good out of pick and roll, handles well, changes pace well. He has an unbelievable floater, shot almost 60% on them last year, and is good for mid-range, 45%. I think he's a better outside shooter than the pure numbers last year showed based on what we saw from him in college, based on what we've seen for mid-range. So I think he's a guy who can be a legitimate piece here long-term. Sohan, I think, I mean, offensively, it's always going to be weird and jumbled and clunky, but defensively, I mean, he is legit and he's got some of the playmaking instincts. Blake Wesley, another guy going into year two. I'm lowest on him. I like how he moves. I like how he handles, like he's fluid. He's pretty twitchy, but he's very slight. He's not a real plus vertical athlete, so he can get move off his spots. He really struggled to finish last year, shot 52% at the rim, was brutal from the intermediate range, like floaters, mid-range, all of it. He was like 20%. I think touch is just a real problem for him, and uh, he's going to have to figure that out. But Again, I think it's a more cohesive win-now team than Houston. I think that Wemby is the best player on either one of these teams day one by a decent margin, even if he's not an all-star his rookie year. I just think that level of defensive impact with the level of offensive skill he does have is game-changing, and the Spurs will be very competitive. I think that they have a relatively low ceiling just because I don't see how they're a like legitimately good offense this year. But I think they're really solid. Yeah. What What do you think? Uh, how long would you give the Spurs before you think they're making playoff pushes? Well, I can't exactly say. I mean, it's going to depend on the development of all the young guys. And then at some point, they're going to have to add another legitimate star talent. My guess is that'll be through free agency because I don't think that this team is going to bottom out ever again. But it's not going to be that long. I mean, maybe two years. Like, this team is still really young, but Vassell and Keldon aren't crazy young. They've already grown into their own a bit. So, once Wemby reaches that, like, bona fide top 15 level, they'll probably be tough to keep out of those conversations. I think so too, man, and I'm looking forward to it. I also don't think it's going to be a problem getting somebody to come here. Hey, you get to come play with Wemby, one of the best defensive players on the planet and a rock-solid guy to have alongside you as a role man, as a popper. I think it's going to be a really intriguing situation, and uh, I'm, I'm pumped, man. I have loved watching. I felt spoiled the other night, Carson, watching Chet and Wemby play, man. It is I, it's it's awesome. I I truly feel spoiled as a basketball fan and privileged to watch these guys play. I mean, dude, you don't have to tell me. I literally went from saying that Chet was the best prospect I'd ever seen to then Wemby, obviously. I mean, he's the consensus best prospect since LeBron, but I love both those dudes, and I really do love Chet. I think that he's going to be special, and it's going to be a hell of a race for Rookie of the Year with him in it too. So, We'll talk about Chet next week, Logan. Hold your horses. We've got two divisions left to preview, but hope you guys enjoyed this show. If you did, you can find all the Nerd Sesh content, all of our full shows, I should say, at the Volume YouTube page with video there. You can also just listen to the podcast across audio platforms. You can follow us across social, TikTok and Instagram at Nerd Sesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can join our Discord if you want to talk NBA, NFL, be part of our community there. And 
You can buy some Nerd Sesh merch. Logan's got the hat there. We've got the flags behind us. We've got shirts. We've got hoodies. So check all that out at thevolume.com or also through our link tree. And with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that. And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.